I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh, hello, everyone. Hey! Oh, a round of applause. We haven't even done anything. This is fantastic. What a joy. What a joy. We're recording a live podcast of our show, so you are an integral part of the show, so mm-hmm. it's important to clap and cheer and laugh at all the jokes, no matter the quality of the jokes. Yeah. That's right. Yes, yeah. like that man. <laughs> Move that person to the front. Yeah, well, we've got a seat down here for you, wooer. <laughs> uh, particularly at the top, uh, at the very start of the show, Dan yep. likes to start the show with three big jokes. Yeah, three and terrible jokes. Very, very in quality, historically. Yeah, they, um, and they are wafty tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. So really, for his sake, I beg of you, <laughs> clap and cheer. Just pretend they're really good. It, it's, it's a format point of the show. We, yeah, we yeah, want to yeah, yeah. be as close to the weekly as possible. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a really fun show. Uh, this is an incredible house. And let's firstly just give it a huge round of applause for yeah. CarriageWorks and Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Yeah, thanks for having us here. Place. I'm Dan. And I'm Lewis. Yeah. yeah. And we'll introduce these folks in a second. Let's yeah. do it. All right, great. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal land in the Yorra Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair and Section 40. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Leaked documents show that top defence officials were kept in the dark about submarine contracts. When asked about it, Scott Morrison said he wouldn't talk about ongoing underwater matters. And in order to increase transparency, Anthony Albanese ordered all government ministers to leave their dream journals unlocked. (laughs) And Governor-General David Hurley becomes a Patreon supporter of Irrational Fear. No no jokes, Uh, he is the best Governor-General ever. Viva la (laughs) Governor-General! It's the 17th of September, 2022, and if you're listening to this, it means I'm in a secret prison in Tugranong. This is Irrational Fear! Welcome to Rational Fear. I'm your host, former sovereign Dan Illich, and this is the show live at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. 
This is the podcast where we make fun of the toughest topics because, you know, if we don't, we'd cry. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. She's been uncovering lies in Sydney for over 25 years. Tonight, we'll ask her for her tips about how to lie to her face. It's the host of Liar Liar, Kate McClarmont. Now, Kate, it's not what we're talking about tonight, but everyone in this room wants to know, did the husband do it? Oh, you haven't left me with a foot to stand on. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be fooled by this man's accent. He's so Australian, he makes the rest of us look like immigrants. From the New York Times, it's Damien Cave. (laughs) Damien, when it comes to learning about Australia, is there something you haven't quite mastered yet? You know, I just discovered what it means to have a smoko. A smoko. Uh, still <laughs> very good. Still learning. <laughs> and she's covered everything this year from Canberra to Kiev. Tonight will be her toughest assignment yet. Please give it up for Amber Schultz. <laughs> Amber, as a crikey journalist, who is more transparent, Russia or Australia? Depends what the metrics. Transparent about body composition, that's Putin. (laughs) Transparent about ability to succumb to peer pressure, that's Elbow. (laughs) And he's the former Australian defence lawyer turned whistleblower, now professional panel guest, is David McBride. David, is there anything funny about being the enemy of the state? (laughs) Well, it certainly makes your dating life. I look better. <laughs> if you say, oh, I'm a lawyer, they're like, oh, I think that's my boyfriend over there. <laughs> if you say I'm facing unlimited time in jail, they're like, ooh. <laughs> you must be dangerous. Uh, really, yeah. up for a one-night stand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very dangerous. And yeah. he's a government employee who's seen too much and he's come here tonight to say enough is enough. It's Lewis Hover. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis, um... What secrets will you be revealing tonight? What secrets? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, gosh. I'm going to tell you... I can't, what can I tell you? Who's going to win the Hottest 100 next year? I don't know. <laughs> and Looks he's like on the, the audience here would probably really care about that. <laughs> All these people are ageing into the demographic now. <laughs> and he's on the Pots and Pants tonight. It's Dylan Bain for the News Fighters podcast. <laughs> well, this is great. Well, what a stellar lineup. We have got more influence and power on this panel than inside Scott Morrison's head. It's very exciting. You know, I don't blame him for signing up for more than one job. There's, uh, there's of course, a labour crisis going on. It's very hard <laughs> to find good help. We'll have more on the Morrison Ministries a little later on. Um, in fact, we'll hear from all of our fearmongers in just a second. But first, I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive to set the context for tonight's performances. I'm here to tell a story. There's an island in the Pacific that is on the verge of autocracy. Its leaders have acquired a huge amount of power over its citizens. They raid journalists for reporting on crimes the state has committed. They lock up whistleblowers for calling out corruption. If doctors and teachers talk about their jobs on social media, they could go to jail. And they ban reporting on certain modes of transport. Um, So where the bloody hell are you? Well, if you answer that question out loud, you could go to jail, but I say it because, you know, I'm brave, uh, I'm not a coward. It's New Zealand, and we need to keep an eye on it. (laughs) No, it's us. It's Australia. Prior to the National Security Information Act of 2004, the top three Australian secrets were the Vegemite recipe, the Australia 2 winged keel, and Harold Holt's post-prime ministerial career as a taxi driver in Bundaberg. (laughs) No one ever talks about it. Um, 
That's it. That's all the secrets we had in Australia pre-2004. There was, of course, a Pine Gap, but that's more of an American secret. Yeah, that's our secret. Yeah. Uh, and the only person that can lose their job if they talk about it is the Prime Minister. Everything else, yes. Oh, big golf yeah. fan over here. Yeah. Everything else is on the table until 9-11, which was, or in Australia's case, our 9-11 was the Tampa crisis. And that's when the National Information Security Act came in, and then the Shilby, Wright, no wuckin' furries version of Australia was locked away in John Howard's basement, never to be seen again. Instead, we have a bunch of legislation that makes transparency harder than ever. The National Information Security Act is one thing, oh, is, is the big one, okay. Anything deemed by the government that is of a national security risk can't be reported on, or it can't even go to court, and if it does go to court, you'll never hear about it, like the case of Witness J, discovered in 2019, a person who was secretly jailed in the ACT. We don't know their name, we don't know their crime, their sentence, or what they were sentenced for. The only thing we do know is what they might look like, thanks to a court sketch from the secret trial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look around you, it could be, could be any one of us. And how we know they exist in the first place was that they actually were writing a memoir in jail and the AFP went and raided their cell and they were so pissed off that the AFP raided their cell to take their memoir away, they took the ACT government to court to complain about it and then we only find out about it because a Judge Burns read it out in court and everyone's like, hang on, what the fuck, where'd this secret guy come from? <laughs> um, then there was Witness K, a secret trial against a whistleblower who revealed that Australian secret agents bugged East Timor Prime Minister's office when we were negotiating a gas deal. That was in 2004. That deal got torn up, went to The Hague, it was a, it was a whole deal, and they got renegotiated again. And then it wasn't until 2014, Witness K went to trial in secret in Australia a decade later. Now, this should be concerning because we don't know how many secret cases there are like this. There could be thousands. I'm not an expert, but I think we should definitely investigate witnesses A through I. Um, <laughs> now, that's one part, secret trials, right? A couple of other things we should be thinking about is this misnamed Freedom of Information Act, because it's not free and you don't get any information. Uh, <laughs> Journalists or anyone who is interested can actually request documents from the government, uh, but it costs us shitloads of money, and if you're a journalist, it can take forever and it can go past your deadline, and they're pretty much useless when it comes back. When news organisations have the resources and time to challenge the government, it's a whole process. You've got to go through the Information Commission, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, and then the Federal Court, and that process can take up to three fucking years to do, in uh, which case, in our hypothetical, that journalist would have been laid off by several news organisations. <laughs> but on the upside, is now working inside the Prime Minister and Cabinet, so they can look at all the documents they want. <laughs> and then there's this. This is the National Cabinet, a regular meeting of Premiers and First Ministers and the Prime Minister. It was created during COVID to talk about what? COVID, presumably? <laughs> We actually don't know because it's secret. <laughs> South Australia might want to change the size of their rail gauge again and ruin the dreams of boomers to cross the country in the Indian Pacific. We don't know! We need to know! Can we just have a minute's silence for that joke? Um, that was, <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited for that one. <laughs> it used to be called COAG. I don't know if anyone remembers this, the Commonwealth Heads of Government, but it was changed for two reasons. First of all, it sounded like a brand of glue. Um, <laughs> and then Scott Morrison renamed it the National Cabinet that, so he could basically claim that all the meetings were cabinet in confidence, like the real Commonwealth Cabinet. But it's not. It's just made up. 
Morrison just fucking made it up. So now and he's a cabinet maker as well. Another job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. He's a cabinet maker. Yes. Uh, that was good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah. You're allowed to laugh. You don't have to say that was good, but I'll take whatever. <laughs> there are heroes on this island like the Auditor General, whose great work includes sifting through tons of Excel spreadsheets to find any anomalies, exposed waste and conflicts of interest. Here's what the Auditor General has done in the last little bit. You may remember the Leppington Triangle, sports shorts and car park shorts, yeah? Pretty good. Yeah. What an incredible group of public service heroes. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> Pretty amazing work. And what was their reward? Well, the Morrison government defunded the department by $14 million. <laughs> Meaning that the Australian National Audit Office can now only complete 38 audits a year. 38, that's not many. I think um, Angus Taylor has more offshore bank accounts than that. So, um, yeah. I don't know if you've picked up a trend here, but these secrecy laws have been around a while, but it seems like they've only been used in the last 10 years or so. Um, who could have gotten into power 10 years or so? Is there anyone who got their very first public ministry 10 years or so? One prominent senior counsel, Geoffrey Watson, points the day that transparency uh, died in Australia. Here's the exact date. Transparency died on Friday, the 8th of November, 2013. It happened at a media briefing called then by the Immigration Minister, Scott Morrison. You may remember it. The overnight incident. Uh, what's become of that vote of asylum seekers? I will not comment further in relation to onboarder matters. Thank you. General, this is of great public interest. I will not comment further people. in relation to onboarder matters. Uh, have they been... Uh, I will not comment further in relation to onboarder matters. I think we've dealt with that question. But in terms of making a judgment, if those um, asylum seekers do come to Australia, doesn't that mean that your turn-back-to-vote policy um, is kind of... Well, you've made a whole bunch of presumptions there which I'm not about to speak Well, maybe you can lead them up for it. Well, you're the one making the presumptions, <laughs> not me. Is it the case that the overnight uh, incident is not resolved and that's why more information is not forthcoming? It's an ongoing operational matter and the persons that were at risk have all been accounted for. We're not going to go into the micro detail of these well, operational matters. What, I, what we are saying is that we rendered assistance yeah, and, all the people, and all the people have been accounted for. Can so we can, we can go around this for, for a lot longer, but that is the position. It's scary watching it now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wild, ab absolutely wild. You all remember that? Uh, you noticed Angus Campbell uh, before he became the Chief of the Defence? Straight or? after this, yeah. Like yeah. A, a year later, he was the Chief he of the Defence. Talent, talent spotter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you remember, do you all remember that phrase? I would not comment in relation to onboarder matters. Man, it was on repeat at every press conference for like six months until the press got bored and stopped going to those press conferences. It was even number five on the hottest 100 of that year, <laughs> uh, uh, which was amazing. Also, it was on afternoon game shows as well. Well, the final question worth $7,000, Scott Ego. Take a look at this picture. What's the well-known catchphrase? It's an ongoing operational matter. Oh, <laughs> wrong so close. Hey, I bet the audience knows what it was. I will not comment in relation to on what happened. <laughs> yes, sadly, Scott, you miss out on the $7,000, which isn't enough to buy you a journalist visa to Papua New Guinea anyway. Good night. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hard to believe they didn't get a Logie, uh, that one. Yeah. Like, that, that joke relies so heavily on people remembering Burjo's catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of showing the press conference, they should have shown Burjo's catchphrase. Yeah. Um, as Jeffrey Watson SC put it, there was a hint in those words that it might have something to do with national security, but that was never the case. There was no evidence was ever produced. Once the government got away with it, once they got a taste for it, and that kind of secrecy is alluring and has an addictive quality. As Watson put it to me by phone, just like in sports, once one side of the game starts cheating and gets away with it, both sides start cheating. And we're already seeing Labor hinting that they'll continue on with National Cabinet in secret. So this is where we are on this island today. Laws designed to protect its citizens, instead used to protect the fragile egos of megalomaniacs we elect. Yeah. And it seems today everything on this island is secret for no good reason. As Damien Cave put it in a great 2019 article titled Australia Might Be the World's Most Secretive Democracy, this is what he wrote. The most recent expansion of government secrecy came last year with an espionage bill that increased criminal penalties for sharing information deemed classified, even if a document happened to be as harmless as a cafeteria menu. So the other day I tested it out. I reached out to Aussie's Cafe um, in the middle of Parliament House. You need a pass to get into it. Uh, all the politicians and lobbyists go there. And I sent them a text and asked them to send me a photo of the menu, and they sent it through. Oh, fantastic. And don't worry, uh, the sources were redacted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in case you're wondering there, uh, the soup of the day is chicken. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's not a problem for me to text, that's good, they were very, they were very happy. So there we go. Everyone at Festival of Dangerous Ideas, please give it up for Damien Kate. Thank you. you. Um, thank you, guys. Quite an impressive menu. <laughs> You know, thanks, Dan. When I, when I wrote that article, actually, you know, people thought I was crazy calling Australia this extremely secretive democracy. But now that we have a prime minister with lots of secret jobs, maybe <laughs> it's not so crazy and maybe it's not just the crazy American who's, who's saying it. Um, you know, since I wrote that story, there have been many more examples, lots of which you went, went into. But, you know, I think it's important to recognize that it's not just Canberra that this problem exists in. And, you know, I run into it all over the country when I'm dealing with people as a reporter. And I have a small story, a small example that will show you just how much it handles some of the most important issues at the local level, like, can we get this image perhaps? The giant banana, the giant <laughs> He-Man banana. Um, let me back up for a minute. So we have a newsletter that the New York Times publishes every week called the Australia Letter, which is basically a reporter riffing about the news of the week with a little bit of perspective. And so one week, Besha Rodell, who's a wonderful writer for us in Melbourne, said, you know, I want to write about this public art thing. It involves bananas and frogs and, and babies. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, but I figured, yeah, for sure, go for it. So shockingly, after it runs, I get this email from somebody that says the subject line is immediate removal of article. And I'm wondering what on earth this is about, right? So I look in and I see that it's about the newsletter, which makes me go back and try to understand what this giant banana He-Man thing is all about. <laughs> and it turns out that there was an exchange being offered between you know, a local council in Melbourne and John Oliver, the comedian, who John basically wanted to take this lovely piece of art off the hands of Melbourne and trade uh, and give them basically some frogs with some legs that were open a little bit wider than is appropriate. <laughs> um, and along with that, he also had some 
babies that had been washed up on the shore in Texas, um, beautiful babies like this. And so he offered to trade these wonderful pieces of art for the He-Man banana. Besha was in favor of this plan. She loved the frogs, I think. So as you can see, this was a serious job of public interest journalism in Australia's greatest interests, which is why I was really surprised when I got an email, and concerned, I should say, and the subject line was immediate removal of article. I mean, that's a pretty big request. We don't take down articles from the New York Times. Sometimes we attach a correction, maybe an editor's note, but take it down. I literally can't think of a a single time that that's happened. And I worry that there must be some serious flaw in what Besha had written. But no, it turns out that the person in local government had an email exchange with her about whether the dolls could go into the recycling machine. And she was quoted as saying, and this is the exact quote, I don't know what the dolls are made of, so I can't officially comment either way. She wrote that in the email, that her name was attached, and that it wasn't supposed to be because she she did not consent to it and was not an authorized spokesperson for the council. This is council policy, she said. So at this point, I I feel kind of bad, and I'm wondering, like, maybe this is just the person who happened to be in the office that day. So I go out and I look on LinkedIn, and I discover that her actual title is Senior Advisor for Media and Communications. We had a bit more back and forth by email, and she said that she was, when she was quoted, it was always without a name. Now, at no point in this exchange with Besha did she request anonymity, not that we would have granted it. But the whole thing started to feel pretty ridiculous to me. I mean, here's a person who was being paid with tax dollars to give the media information, demanding an article be spiked because she kind of did her job with a weird nothing burger of a comment about scary, rubbery baby dolls. Like, really? This is how far down the rabbit hole Australian secrecy's gone? But the thing is, I'd been around, and I I could also see that this really wasn't just her fault, right? This was bigger than her. This council did have a secrecy policy for almost everything and everyone, just like Australia has a secrecy default for far too many things. As Dan mentioned, it's a habit. It gets addictive. She was just following the written and unwritten rules for the world's most secretive democracy. And I was pretty sure she didn't even see the context that way. So I tried to write back to her politely, and this is what I wrote. The problem here, it seems to me, is the Australian practice of withholding names. In general, if you work for a public entity in a democracy, anonymity is not assumed. You work for the public at taxpayer expense. And so in the future, if you don't want to be named, please make that clear in your exchange with New York Times reporters and we can respond accordingly. She wrote me back and said, thank you. This has been a huge lesson for me in terms of dealing with reporters. Now, again, (laughs) this is her job. So she was was the senior Senior. media advisor. Yes, exactly. Now, I wish that this was the only absurd example of Australia's secrecy default in the years since I wrote that article, but it's not. There was also the time when I filed a public records request for some insight in what kinds of things the Foreign Investment Review Board was rejecting. I started out asking for companies and industries and the countries involved for every decision. I wanted to basically know what kinds of things are being rejected from China in particular and what are not. They said no to that. So then I just asked for numbers, bland statistics for which countries had applied and been rejected. I asked for ratios of accepted investments, anything that would give me any insight into what this very important government body was doing. And they said no to all of it. They just assumed it was a national security threat, whether or not China bought a dairy farm or not. More recently, and I'll end with this, I ran into a senior Australian diplomat at an event who told me a handful of mildly insightful things about Australian foreign policy. At the end of our little chat, he looked at me in the eyes and he said, you can't quote or refer to anything I told you. (laughs) I told him not to worry that I'd been talking to a lot of Western officials from the US, the UK, a whole bunch of things on this story I was working on. So the most that I could imagine doing was combining what he said with others and referring it to something like Western officials. And his eyes went grew wide with fear. 
No, I've gotten in trouble for that. I've gotten in trouble for that too, he said. <laughs> you can't do that, you just can't. And again, none of what he told me amounted to state secrets, but he was completely stressed. It was like he feared being jailed or fired or killed for saying very, very little. Wow. And that's really the problem here. The culture of secrecy has become so dominant in Australia that it muzzles voices and censors people who are responsible for this democracy. Instead of recognizing that their roles include an obligation to the public to explain why they are, what they are doing is good for the country, they be behave as if telling the media and the public anything is a violation of ethics. And they are disciplined with that priority in mind. Stay silent, keep information private, or else. Don't make any mistake, this is an authoritarian instinct. I've seen it in dictatorships around the world, and it's toxic and contagious. It's an attitude that strikes fear into everyone and anyone who has an urge to share important information that we deserve to know. One more thing. Though some figures in Australian life, perhaps that former prime minister, perhaps <laughs> another member who we've tussled with, I think, in the media quite a bit, named Peter Dutton, have a far worse <laughs> reputation on secrecy than others. But it is not a partisan problem. It's a political problem and a power problem and a habit problem. Even after Scott Morrison took on all those extra jobs, you did not see the Albanese government immediately promise to tackle the problem of secrecy all over government. And it's not clear if the prime minister ever will get around to dealing with it. This is the case even though countless studies show that secrecy undermines trust in democracy and creates the conditions for corruption and mismanagement. Australians really deserve better. My hope is that someday we get to a place where every official can speak freely, including those who have something to say about a gross baby doll washing up on shore <laughs> or a banana he-man public art project in Melbourne. Thank you. I've got a story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to jump in because what you said rang true, and, I, and I'm going to forget it later, but they, they had a thing in the Defence Force about pri the Privacy Act. I don't think people understood it. The idea, obviously, you don't want people finding out about you know, your sexual preference or, or whatever through some sort of a leak, but they took it very seriously, and we were in, in dropping bombs on people in the Middle East. I, I kid you not... Uh, there was like a senior defence lawyer, he was sort of like targeting this terrorist who just said to say a hellfire missile, and they were like, I'm not sure, we may be breaching their privacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were going like, you know, garbage the whole action. And I'm like, I don't yeah. think that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Damien, does anything else um, kind of, you've been here five years, does anything else surprise you at all now due to kind of around secrecy in Australian government? You know, I think I'm constantly surprised by moments like the one I just described, where it's, it's so deeply ingrained in the culture that the default setting is to just not attach a name or under, an understanding of accountability at the low, low level. So that's the first thing. It's just throughout the culture. And then the second thing is, though, that I, I'm so pleasantly surprised when people actually trust me and do help me. Like, there was one time I was in, like, this small town in South Australia doing a story about, um, I think there was a, it was a, a memorial to, to a massacre against the local Aboriginal people, and somebody in government, this was a very, really big controversial conflict in this small town, but someone quietly at some point handed me the small blue book, and he said, this is the phone numbers for everyone in this town. <laughs> you can call whoever you want. Don't tell anyone I gave it to you. And I don't know why he trusted me with that, but, I, I'm, but I'm so grateful to those people who who, you know, feel that they've taken a chance on me as a journalist. And, I'm, I'm, and that surprises me because it's so rare, unfortunately. Yeah, great. And what was the diplomat, what was he saying to you? Was he saying stuff like, 
you know, we, we sell a lot of sheep in Australia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. You know, he was like talking about like other leaders and like things that were totally part of the public record. Like, mm. hey, I think he maybe he thought he was saying these brilliant things, but I'd heard all of it before. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how so. much that has trickled down to normal conversations where I'll have dinner with a friend and they're just talking about their average Wednesday and they'll stop themselves and they'll be like, this is off the record. <laughs> yeah. Why would I report that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That sense of self-importance too, I guess is part of the secrecy yeah. thing. It's like whatever I'm doing, it, it, I think it helps people sort of feel important, to feel as though the menu for a restaurant might be secret. <laughs> All right, great. Well, I'm looking forward to the next secret spilled by Amber Schultz. <laughs> Last week, I went to this really glamorous event called the Midwinter Ball. So for those of you that don't know, it's in Parliament, and it's an opportunity for journalists to cosplay as stage three <laughs> tax cut recipients. And... <laughs> We all go, and the whole point of the event is to suck up to politicians and staffers and lobbyists. But what's weird is the entire thing, as soon as you step through those doors, the entire event is off the record. It's all secret. Which, why you would have an event, invite journalists and keep it off the record, bewilders me. Mm. It's not an ASIO meeting. It's not an AUKUS meeting, because if it was, Scott Morrison would have leaked the test messages by now. <laughs> and it's not, despite what Senator Sarah Hanson-Young seemed to think, a Met Gala event. <laughs> it's the parliamentary ball... Uh, you know, Australia is addicted to secrecy. We've got Witness K, Witness J, Lawyer X. You know, it sounds like a Wiggles song. We've got <laughs> Scott Morrison's ministerial appointments, uh, whistleblowers are silent, secret midwinter ball speeches. It's absolutely absurd. Freedom of information requests in Australia across the past decade uh, have been rejected 50% year on year. Uh, those that are accepted, which is rare, but those that are accepted return pages upon pages of redacted information. So you just get a wall of black, and it makes trying to figure out what the hell is going on about as difficult as reading a George R.R. R. Martin novel. <laughs> <laughs> but while the government doesn't want to share any information with the public, it turns out the public is really, really happy to share information with the government. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are a nation of dobbers. We love snitching. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. And we didn't start like this. You know, Australia is, you know, our colonial history is a nation of convicts, and obviously the convicts aren't snitching because the ones that snitched got to stay in England. <laughs> <laughs> our snitching culture is the result of some really, really successful marketing campaigns. So the government really does want whistleblowers. It really wants people to come forward with information, provided you're coming forward with information about Jan three doors down. <laughs> so the first marketing campaign was Crime Stoppers. That started in the 80s, and that's been really successful. There's like 350,000 tip-offs per year, and about half of those actually result in a police report, which is hugely successful. And then, of course, 9-11 happened, and the government decided we need a national security hotline. We need something more tailored to terrorism. Uh, and conveniently, a lot of these national security hotline campaigns were released during elections because nothing else buys a vote like fear. <laughs> so we had the, uh, if you see something, say something. We had be alert, not alarmed. And we had, if it doesn't add up, speak up. We moved from loose lips, sink ships, to <laughs> spy on your neighbour. It's normal behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, a, a lot of these national security tips obviously are steeped in racism and prejudice. So, Australia, we, we are trying to be better. We are trying to be, you know, less divisive, more inclusive. So, COVID presented a really fantastic opportunity of that because it meant we could dob on our neighbours regardless of race or background or socioeconomic class. It's progress, really. <laughs> 
There was one example, so there were so many people calling the police on one another, often for really, really trivial things. Uh, one example was a woman, she's sitting home and she sees a photo, uh, scrolling through her photos and she sees one where she looks absolutely shredded in her bikini from a holiday a year ago. She, <laughs> she decides to post it on Facebook and suddenly the police are at her door. One of her Facebook friends saw that photo, thought it was current and called the police on her. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how much we love snitching, you know, and you, you were worried about Zuckerberg spying on you. It's not Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's your old high school friend from 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, we love snitching. We have a dobbing hotline for almost everything. We have Dobbin a dealer. Uh, that was launched in 2016, and Dobbin Adela has actually seen, since the campaign launched, uh, the number of people calling up about dealers double. It's been really successful. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, a tip-off about AFL-style Wayne Carey's dealer um, <laughs> turned up nothing but crushed-up bags of ibuprofen. So, you know, it's a real hit and miss. Uh, we've got the Job Seeker Dobbin hotline, which was... <laughs> You know, cruelly called. It's not funny. <laughs> Scott Morrison was ringing constantly. Yeah, it was just him. <laughs> uh, which was cruelly called uh, Dobbin a doll bludger. Now, that wasn't actually as successful because people didn't, you know, didn't really like the idea of dobbing in someone on the doll. Uh, but the people that did complain was small to medium businesses who said people that had applied for their jobs had lied on their CV, which is really funny because it just means the public is looking to John Barillaro and taking a bit of advice. <laughs> <laughs> we also, we used to, we don't anymore, but we used to even have a hotline to dob in mislabeled seafood. That's how much we love dobbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a specific one for mislabeled seafood. Wow. Sounds like a micro detail. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Crab sticks. Yeah. <laughs> so tip-offs and dobbins are a dime a dozen. I mean, in this economy, who knows, but really a dime a dozen. So while you can't know what subpar jokes Albanese staffer wrote for him at the midwinter ball speech, he can know about that job interview you didn't show up for, you know, he can know about that crushed-up bag of ibuprofen you bought, or he can know about that weird photo you posted on Facebook. So while the government, you know wants information from you, it only wants really, really trivial information. You know, try snitching about something of importance, and you know the saying, snitches get... Stitches. Closed-door prosecutions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, thank you, man. Amber. All right. Amber, um, uh, you know, it costs money to do FOI stuff, um, but what's the most you've ever cost crikey? in your career as a journalist? Um, I probably set a record for the fastest lawsuit from a new hire because I hit three days and immediately got a, uh, right. a concerns notice. So, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Crikey has a very long, rich history of being sued for defamation. So I was proud to join that on day three. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting, like you're talking about midwinter ball there, and the inverse, the immediate comparison is the White House press correspondence di right. dinner in DC, yes. and which is very like public. broadcast, celebrity, Everyone wants to go to it. And it's like, and if you're a leader and you're at that event, you are going to get roasted. And if you, if you fuck up on stage, you're going to eat it in front of everyone. It's like, that is like the absolute icon of like, that when you look at both countries, Australia and, and America, that's like transparency back to back. It's yeah, incredible. anytime you're looking at America with respect and thinking uh -oh. like that, they're more relaxed than us. <laughs> like, yeah. we need to have a, Good hard look at ourselves. It's yeah. like 
secret um, dinners for the whatever, for the president, and weed laws. They're like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. But it's weird, though, because um, there's a, not a ball, but there's an annual invite for ABC employees, like the, um, a bunch of ABC employees get basically instructed to go down to Parliament House and kiss the ring. Yeah. Um, it's, so a, yeah. it's a suck-up tour, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. and so one... No, I, well, one year I was told to go down and uh, as, you know, the, the face of youth as I was back then and, um, and it's so weird because obviously all politicians hate young people so they were just like, get the fuck out of here. But then they, um, everyone was around, like all of the ABC celebs were out there trying to like impress, you know, someone who would give us money and they didn't give a shit until... B1 and B2 came out. <laughs> and those politicians went fucking bananas, literally. Like, they were all grabbing photos. Like, they were so excited. We're just like, well, I just went and got drunk with Costa. <laughs> those, those politicians weren't obviously from Fitzroy. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amber, when you're around Parliament House lately, can you tell if there's, like, a tone change since the new government has come in? Like, is there, is there a different feeling around the press gallery? There is, I mean, slightly. We've got the little, uh, like little postcards that have the 1800 Parliamentary Support Services number on it, but that they're everywhere. But aside from that, the only difference is people constantly, if anyone like gets too close or accidentally brushes past someone, someone will yell Jenkins. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only difference. <laughs> that's great. It's easy to make fun of the press gallery for kind of hypocrisy. They're under pressure from the government. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see over the last couple of years how news reports have changed, particularly under the Morrison government. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, here's a clip from Channel 10 News. Here are the headlines approved by the Department of Communications on 10. The Royal Commission into How Good Is Australia has found that Australia is very good and gooder than many estimates predicted. The Department of Fair Go agrees with the findings, saying that Aussies are getting fairer goes and more goes than ever before. And Australia's most prestigious honour, the Order of Australia, is having a makeover with a brand new category added to the list. So move over, OAMs and AMs, there's a new medal on the podium, it's the QA, which will be awarded to the most quiet Australian. But that's someone <laughs> who excels at showing complete disinterest in the affairs of government and goes about their day unquestioning the world around them. Nominations are now open, so good luck to everyone. And in sport, Australia's cricket team are the best and they will win the Ashes if any of the current 11 want to see their loved ones again. Turning to the weather, despite what it looks like out of the window, it is fine and definitely average temperatures for this time of year. <laughs> Certainly not way hotter than usual. That is, of course, all the approved news for now in the greatest country in the world. And remember... It's on Australia to not have private health insurance. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Kate McClarmont. Right, I am going to give you some tips tonight on how to avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> So I find now that often when I ring people up, I can hear them and I say, oh, it's Kate McClymont here. I can hear them go, ugh. But anyway, if you want to be secret, one of the things I want to advise you is not to buy a voice distorter. 
<laughs> so I did have someone ring up to give me some very highly confidential information and they'd gone to the trouble of buying a voice distorter. And it did sound like a crazed robot, but the information was absolutely fabulous. And I said at the end of the conversation, thank you so much, and now I can get you on this number. Because they'd forgotten. (laughs) 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 Although they had bought a voice distorter, their number still came up. (laughs) So don't buy a voice distorter. And two, if you want to remain secret, please use Australia Post snail mail. It's still the best way to send things. However, if you are one of the Abid family and you are sending me death threats, please wear gloves because (laughs) your fingerprints were on the envelope and on the inside. So gloves if you really don't want to be caught. (laughs) And one other thing I'd like to uh, advise Eddie Abid was that in the past, when I rang his office to get some questions, he forgot to hang up. (laughs) So he left the phone on and I listened for 20 minutes as they discussed how they were going to lie to me, what they were going to say. And in the end, I had to call in on the office phone and I said, look, Eddie, it's been so lovely hearing you talk about me. It's been so lovely hearing your plans. However, I really need a comment and I just heard them go, oh, And they hung up. Another thing is that when a major crime figure has died, don't go behind the crypt at the funeral to discuss where the money is. (laughs) This happened at Lenny McPherson's funeral and I'd already been threatened, so I thought I would hide behind the crypt. (laughs) But on the other side of the crypt was Lenny McPherson's solicitor who was chatting away about where the money was hidden, (laughs) what companies they had. So that was very handy. (laughs) Um, And um, having said those things, I do want to just take one moment to say that I am also an idiot when it comes to, uh, you know, giving my own things away. Lewis reminded me today that I accidentally sent a pin with my location on it to the head of the Hells Angels. <laughs> Kate McClymont is here. <laughs> Pen. Not so good. Then I sent a photo of my ear. How would you take a photo of your ear and send it? But I sent that to one of my colleagues who thought I, somebody had cut it off and I was... <laughs> and then the last thing I did was that I did have my phone in my pocket and I sent a whole lot of gibberish to Twitter and people contacted me saying, should they call the police? Had I, be kidna- had I been kidnapped and was this a secret cry for help? <laughs> so I would just like to say that um, I too, like many of the criminals I cover, am an idiot. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Do you ever feel, uh, honestly, feel like your life is in danger? Um, Oh, look, I I always take that one of my contacts who was a detective said to me, um, Kate, don't worry about the ones that threaten you. It's the ones that don't. And I did get a death death threat delivered to my house and it did have 303 on it. And I said to my husband, um, 
what, that's actually our address, 303. And he said, it's a rifle, you idiot. <laughs> so, and it doesn't help when you don't actually understand that you are getting a death threat to your own house. Oh, so if we were to send a death threat to you, what's the best kind of format? <laughs> <laughs> snail mail. I, snail mail, <laughs> snail mail, with the, with the fingerprints. And what is, like, the best way to actually stay secret from you, rather than, you know, all the mistakes? But, like, how does someone, how does someone Look, truly avoid Kate McClellan? No, it's very hard. <laughs> so, it's very hard because the first thing I do is, um, if you come across my radar, the first thing to do is don't behave badly. That's how you can avoid me. But the first thing I do is I will do an ASIC search. If you have a company, I will find out how old you were, where you used to live, whether you've got a mortgage on your house, how much you paid for your house, who lives next door, who lives on the other side, what is your phone number? So don't. Is there, are there like, are the ways that you do that publicly available? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so just when, expensive. When but I, I think I have a sort of an ASIC addiction. You know how people have poker <laughs> machines? I have that thing of doing an ASIC search and my heart is racing <laughs> as I'm waiting to find out who is in that company with that person. Wow. I love it. Some people pay yep. for Paramount Plus. Did you ever um, call up Eddie O'Bead and try to renegotiate a mortgage? Like... <laughs> oh, no. no, I think the last time I did ring him up, um, he said to me, you put one word out of line and I will go for you. I will go for the jugular. Have a nice day. <laughs> so, oh, nice and... to say have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> He's now so in Kirkconnell Jail and I just think, Having to spend eternity with your son Moses is, yeah. is punishment enough. <laughs> David McBride is a former military officer who served with both the ADF and British armies in Ireland and Afghanistan, and he now faces unlimited years in jail after exposing cover-ups of war crimes committed by Australians in Afghanistan. Yet, he did not get invited to the Queen's commemoration ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, please welcome David McBride. <laughs> David, with unlimited jail on the cards, um, it must play havoc with your psyche. Um, how are you preparing? It's quite a useful term. The first, uh, when I was first going to court and uh, had a legal aid lawyer, I met a guy who was a lifetime prisoner with tats all over him and, and he was like, I'm going to give you some tips when you go to jail, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he said, you know, you've got to keep it very tidy because it's some people's homes. And he said, you know, he said, what's your cover story going to be? And I said, well, I want a cover story. I'm a, I'm a whistleblower and, and uh, you know, fighting the government. I can't say anyone's going to beat me up. And he was like, no, no, no. He said, they're going to beat you up. He said, he said, they won't even understand what a whistleblower is. He said, if I was you, I'd say you killed your sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a mental note. I thought, I'm going to get a bigger tattoo. <laughs> and, then he, and then he said, well, how, how many years are you facing anyway? And I said, well, it's unlimited. And he said, what do you mean? I said, it's unlimited. And he said, well, what, 500 years? I said, yeah, maybe. 800? I said, yeah, possibly. If I just had a bad day, who knows? And he was like, mm, yeah, you're going to do all right, prison. He said, they might give you a double cell. <laughs> <laughs> so that was all right. You one of the obedes. I know. When you went through the process of, you know, whistleblowing, did you ever think, oh, geez, I wish I hadn't had 
expose the war criminals? Yeah. No, I never thought that. I must admit, I never thought that. Although in the position I'm in now, where it looks like, you know, I could be going to jail uh, for a long time for doing what I thought was the right thing, I do sometimes think I'm going to sue Hollywood for making, giving me these ideas that right. somehow that was the right thing to do yeah, like, when actually it was obviously a very dangerous Like a few good men, that's yeah, all. Yeah, that's yeah. all. That's me. We maybe get a big class. I could be the richest person in jail and never get to be able to spend that money. The sad thing is, like, if you sell your story and it goes really well <laughs> as a feature film, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. You wouldn't be around to watch in, it in jail. Bro- I know. That's yeah. all right. Um, it's quite remarkable what you've done. It's, it's, a, it's a real act of service for democracy uh, and it's really astounding that we all know what, you know, our Defence Force has done on our behalf and I think we're all better off for knowing that. Does your family know that you're a hero? You can never be a hero to your family and I've, and I've tried to, uh, I've tried to try to pull the hero card a couple of times with my kids when they're playing up and they kind of want this and want more money for the dress or something. And I'm like, look, it's, it's pretty hard for me and I'm, I'm standing up for what is right and, and for your uh, future and your children's future. And, and they go, they roll their eyes and they go, Dad, that's all very well. When are you going to get an actual job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't cut much ice, uh, that's for sure. And even with my... Uh, my ex-wife and I was like telling her about trying to break the news to her that the cops could be coming and, and I was, I'd had secret documents and I was like, look, it's going to, uh, I'm taking on the, the Defence Force. And she was like, oh, that's wonderful, darling. Good, good. The filing of nails. And then I'm like, oh, trying to make, she didn't seem that impressed. I'm like, I'm really taking on the whole government. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's good, darling. And I'm like, Phew. she wasn't very impressed and I was trying to get a bit of hero <laughs> um, hero cred. Hero cred, exactly. You'd think you get it. And, and I'm like, and effectively, because of AUKUS and everything, I'm really taking on the, the American government and the CIA. And the <laughs> You're NSA. up in the States. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm trying to get a bit of oh, the Marvel Cinematic and Universe. She's, even, <laughs> she's looking at a little bit of, you know, rough nails. She's going, oh, that's nice, darling. <laughs> She said, but uh, remember, I've got Pilates tonight, so make, <laughs> make sure you're home to pick up the kids. Oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going through the process of whistleblowing, what's like the most absurd thing that you kind of encountered in, with the authorities? You know, what, what's, like, mm. what's the craziest thing? There's a lot. But as you know, I went through all the secret files when I decided something was very wrong in the Defence Force and I, and I spent about six months working at night looking for incriminating documents. And I got download them all and, and gave them to the ABC and said, look, these ones, they're all selected, they're all, I've highlighted the sections and anyway. I knew these documents very well and I'd selected them and that's why I'm facing trial. But when I was on trial, they used to take us into the Attorney General's office and this specialty office with all the, where the documents were ostensibly to prepare our case. With security guards and Attorney General's people watching us prepare our case in secret. And the documents were there and they were like, pointing to me, he can't look at the documents (laughs) 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 because he doesn't have a security clearance and these are classified. And I'm like, I know what's in the fucking documents. (laughs) (laughs) They're the documents I stole. And they're like, I don't care. 
no, you know, no exceptions. You can't look at the documents. <laughs> and so then they, um, and these documents, these precious documents, and as the time went on, they had to move them around in a safe and the security guards would come around and, and I think they got sick of it. At one time they had to call us up and said, well, you can't have the documents today because uh, the consignment order got mixed up and they've, you know, gone to a double glazing office in Melbourne <laughs> and we're trying to get them back as soon as we can. <laughs> did, well, they, did they arrest the double glazing? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After they arrested the courier. They came back and they were framed, didn't they? Oh. 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 <laughs> well, David, thank you for joining us on Rational Fear and, and I hope we can get you again soon, before, at least before or after. Or from prison, that's yeah. right, yeah. Give it up for David O'Brien. Lewis Hobart, everyone. I want to stand up. That's all right. I know. Was that an ooh? Fuck yeah. All right. That's right. We're about to get dangerous. This guy's standing up. Okay. Now, secrets. We all have them. People on this panel, they don't like them much. Their zeal for disclosure is almost religious. But I'm an agnostic member in the Church of Full Disclosure. A bit like the actual church. <laughs> Boy, do they have some secrets. Of course, some secrets deserve to be revealed. But be honest, every now and then, a journalist uncovers something and you think to yourself, wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> like, why is it that we still don't know if the Queen killed Diana, but we do know that King Charles wants to be his wife's tampon? <laughs> Didn't help me to know that. Hasn't stopped him being king. What's the point? You've just made me sad. <laughs> I don't want to know these types of secrets. Oh. I, I haven't been out of sleep for years because of this. But people like you had to go digging around, didn't you? <laughs> you know, when this whole thing broke, the other Nationals MP who thought that uh, Barnaby should be sacked for cheating on his wife was this guy. And then, you know what secrets the damn journalists found out about him? They found out that he'd been chatting to a woman who wasn't his wife using a sugar baby website. <laughs> and that could have been enough. You could have stopped there. But no. You had to tell me the sexts he wrote. <laughs> Do you remember this? When the woman said that she liked an Australian accent and he wrote, I pull you close. Run my strong hands down your back, softly kiss your neck, and whisper, G'day, mate. I still shudder every time someone says G'day to me. Like, can't you journalists just put out an article every week that says, Old men still gross? The specifics are ruining me. And it's not just the gross secrets either. Like this week, someone discovered that a glacier in Chile had collapsed. No, keep that to yourself. <laughs> you know, I know climate change is happening, but I can't stop the glaciers from falling in Chile. I'd love to, but I can't, and it's stressing me out. Some things are need to know, right? But some things I don't need to know. Some things I just need to know that the people who need to know know, you know? <laughs> You can just leave me out of it. Like, journalists need to remember that snitches get stitches. <laughs> Here's a dangerous idea for you. Zip it! <laughs> <laughs>
Knowing everything, that's your interest. <laughs> it's a great hobby. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> oh, great. You found out that the Prime Minister had 10 secret jobs and gave out hundreds of millions of dollars to the, in what were basically bribes. Oh, good, good. Now I'm confused and angry. Oh, great. We found out that dead shit politicians are getting paid millions to move overseas when they get chased out of their current jobs here for being shit at them. Oh, great. Well, now I have to think about that. Well, I have to go to my poorly paid work and be competent. It's killing me. I think every journalist should be restricted to one secret per annum. <laughs> On your birthday, you can tell me one secret as a treat. 364 days to plan your next one. Just give me a chance to recover. You know, you want to be a whistleblower, great. You can only blow one whistle at a time. <laughs> I don't want to be told any more about old people secretly fucking their staff or publicly fucking the planet. <laughs> like, I want to know the secret to cooking a good pizza at home. <laughs> One that tastes as good as a restaurant. How do they do it? I want to know the secret to ordering clothes online that fit me the first time. <laughs> I just want to know the secret to not being anxious all the time. <laughs> and I think that starts with not knowing this stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lewis. That is it for Rational Fear. Big thank you for our guests, Dylan, Lewis, Amber, Damien, Kate, David McBride. Also, big thanks to Road Mike, our new Patreon supporters, Kelly, Catherine, Jenny, the new Blurt, Daniel Harvey, Cecily Hardy, Beck Blake, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, Jacob Round, and our tech Tom, and our tech team here. Until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.